Hey, what's up, guys? It's Kinda Neat, uh, coming live from Cosmic Zoo Studios, uh, the new, beautiful Atwater Village studio run by my homies, Daddy Kev and James, No Can Do, McCall. If you guys have been tuning in, you know that the last podcast was with Cadillac Ron. I'm not going to sit and bullshit too much. Uh, I just want to get right back into the conversation with him. So here is the enthralling part two of my conversation with Cadillac Ron. Thank you, guys. When I met you, it was like, uh, I had never heard of you, but at the same time I was like, oh, this guy's like around the same age as me and he can rap and he's throwing shows and stuff. But it was weird because it was such like a tight knit community at the time that it was all like word of mouth vouching. Like I've never heard of Cadillac Ron, like who is this dude throwing these shows in Venice? And they're like, oh, he's a stand up guy. Like he handles his business good. And like, I'm like, all right, cool. And that was the thing is like, yeah, all the people that you mentioned, Dom, Syra, Rhetoric, James, Mike, like. We were on this little bubble of a scene doing shows at the Knitting Factory together or wherever, you know. And yeah, I remember you breaking in and it's interesting to hear about all like the needing to be in jail or like when you're in jail being like you're either a good guy or not good. Right. Because like, yeah, when you came into the scene, it was like you had a good reputation behind you already. Right. That was seemingly out of nowhere. And now I understand why. Right. Well, it was like – it's an interesting thing because like I think a lot of people would have been deterred from the scene because it was like – I mean, the message that I was getting, especially from, like, like, you know, some of the, like, former members of the swim team and, like, these, like, assholes from Project Blood, like, and I love Project Blood and most of the people down there, but there were these people where it was like, bro, you're not one of us, bro. And it wasn't because I was white, you know, because at that point, you know, the bloat had evolved. And, like, when I went to the bloat in 97, like, I couldn't rap, you know, like, they wouldn't let me. You know, like I'd rap a few bars and someone would cut me off and be like, fuck you, white boy. Like, you know, and uh, coming back like almost 10 years later. It was very diverse. It was like anybody could rap, you know, and like you. But but the difference is back then they would still boo you if you were whack. You know, now it's like now saying you're from the blow to me is like, well, like whatever, you know, that's like anybody can say they're a bloaty. And it's like back in the day, it was like these kids. You know, like, you'd be intimidated to get in a cypher out front, you know, because Pterodactyl is so drunk, like, and lurking around and, like, fucking otherwise. And, like, you know, you're like, well, this is crazy. Like, a lot of them, like, I got this vibe, like, they didn't want to let me into their community. And I was so, like, I just wanted to rap. Like, I was like, yo, like, I want to just make music and shit. And I knew I was dope. And I was doing shows like pay to play shit with Sean Healy or fucking, you know, like I was trying to just get in anywhere. And it was people like Open Mike, you know, that fucking were like, yeah, I'll do a song with you, you know, and like actually when nobody would fucking talk to me and like Open Mike lets me come to his house and do a track, you know, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like there is some sense of community and like, you know, it was around that time that uh, that I met like exist. You know, and uh, I had actually approached him and I was like uh, sending him a message on MySpace, like, hey, will you do a feature on my record? Like, you know, because I grew up like listening to like uh, shapeshifters. And- He's talking about Existerio for the uh, you guys that want to search that out. Yeah, Existerio. And uh, 
you know, I was like, I'll give you a hundred bucks, like to do a verse on my album or whatever. And then when we actually link up and meet and he's like, damn, like you rap dope. He's like, you don't need to give me any money, bro. Like I like want to be like on your shit, you know, like, and then he listens to like a little bit about my life. And then he's like, yo man, don't even trip. Like fucking anything I can do to help you out. Like, let me know. You know, at the time, like my life stayed real, even like, were you cleaned up at this point? I was cleaned up, but, like, shit was still always, like... Had your parents taken you back in? Like, they were cool with you again? Or yeah, no? I mean, it took a while, but, like, um, my first baby's mom was, like, locked up pregnant. And, like, so I was expecting a kid. Um, you know, my life was pretty dysfunctional still. Uh, like, uh, so I had this, like, pregnant baby's mom in jail. You know, like, I didn't know fucking... You know, it was still like, I still, but it was all like adding to like my rap life persona where I was like, this is how, like, I worked so hard to work backwards down the socioeconomic ladder where now I'm this fucking lost rapper in LA trying to make it with the fucking, like, you know, the whole eight mile complex where I'm like, baby mom fucking in jail, kid on the way, like, and it put this extra fire under me. What was she in jail for? She's an idiot. Like, I don't like to mention her because she's a retarded. But, uh, <laughs> like, she just was a fuck up, you know? Like, she just couldn't get her shit together. If my son ever listens to this, like, I'm sorry that I said that about your mom. But, like, you know, my new girlfriend is, like, and my new baby's mom is, like, so much cooler and tighter than that bitch. Do you have full custody of the, of your son? Yeah. And so that she's out of the picture? Yeah, she's gone. She got deported. And the only reason I stayed with her was because she was pregnant. You know, because I was like, I would have left that bitch fucking a long time ago. But, uh, you know, she she like did a fucking shady bitch move. Yeah. And as soon as she went to jail, she knew she was pregnant. And she's like, I'm going to keep the baby because she was like, she knew I'm a good dude. She knew I would stick around. And like that shit worked for her because, you know, she manipulated me into fucking coming to visit her and fucking, you know. And I just did that shit for my kid, you know, because like I loved my son. And then when he was born... You know, I got him right away because she was locked up. So in the midst of all this, I'm out in the streets trying to fucking make a name for myself. And uh, it was a very like it was a, it was a hard couple of years because like I was like, I know I'm a good person. I know I'm a real dude at this point. Like I've been tested like all over the world and, uh, you know, on every level of survival. And uh, but I'm not getting anything out of it. Like nobody's like there's no reciprocity in the scene. It was like very closed, man. And that's why like people that are trying to make it in L.A. and music, it's fucking tough because there's so much talent. It's like and there's a lot of mediocrity, but it's like you have to have something unique about yourself because you can't just be like today. It's a little different, as you know, like you could just be this YouTube anomaly. It is different than it was before YouTube broke. Absolutely. Right. But I remember at the time, like the time that you're talking about trying to break into the quote unquote scene. And let's be honest, like our fucking scene never really went anywhere. Like no one that was directly involved in our scene really ever took off fully. Well, Jonathan dumbfounded is like, He's doing it. He's doing the damn thing. Right. You know what I mean? But, like, I don't think anybody that we, like, really in that scene ever got signed or, like, really fucking had a hit. You know Syrah I mean? now. Well, yeah, Syrah. Yeah, definitely. She's on her way up. Absolutely yeah. working with um, Skrillex. Skrillex and everything. But, yeah, so th this scene was so, like, we were so self-involved. But, yeah, people would always ask, like, hey, man, how can I get involved in the L.A. scene? And I'd be like, you know, you just have to be a fucking cool person that people want to be around. And right. that's all it was because none of us were, like, doing it anything, like, other than just 
you we got along with each other or we didn't you just had to be there all the time you had to be around all the time you had to be a familiar face and you had to like not be thirsty basically like yeah you couldn't be the fucking kid going oh hey man uh will you, will you listen to my tape it's like right. you just had to be a fucking normal person that was basically what paid off i think was just like my stick-to-itiveness and like yeah. you know i my willingness to play urban underground every friday for a year yeah. you know and like i wouldn't recommend that to anyone but uh but that's what I, you know, I, I was like, all right, I got to do something, man. Like, I need to play. That's the only thing that's keeping me sane. And I, I was working on enough projects in the studio at that point that I was like, I just want to play live shows. That's what I, like, that's always been my favorite thing. And, like, I think for, like, there was two years where I was playing at least, like, four times a month in L.A. And that was, like, that's what became where people started, like, Oh, yeah, I heard of that dude. Yeah, at the time, before, like, this new wave of the internet shit started cracking, it was like, if you weren't playing shows, you weren't doing shit. Right. Playing shows was like, man, your shit was cracking. If, yeah, if, you had to get out if there. If there was promoters that wanted to put you on a flyer every weekend, then you were doing it. And that was, like, the thing. It was, yeah, how many flyers are you on this month? And who are you on the flyers with? And I almost feel it's the opposite nowadays. Yeah, now it's like, don't play shows. Yeah, it's like, only play shows if you know people are going to show up and shit. Yeah, and it's going to be cracking as fuck. But, uh... You know, it was that, but that attitude and that, I think that willingness of artists to like, that those are the people that are still around. Mm -hmm. And like, it's cool now because like we were talking, me and Serp were talking about this the other night and I was saying, we were talking about the swim team specifically. And I was saying a lot of those dudes were successful and he was saying, you know, well, no, if we're talking about like financial success and I, well, I said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they're still relevant in the scene, like open mic, Eagle satire, granted dumbfounded. It's probably had the most like commercial success or what, or, you know, like financial, financial yeah. success, but the people that are still respected and still pushing the envelope as far as their craft is concerned, they always stuck with it. Yeah. And I'm like that for me, that's what I wanted. So I was basically telling him, I said, I believe that I'm a success. And because when I was fucking in 2001, you know, opening for fucking the living legends. Like I wouldn't have really thought like I would be collaborating with any of them on like a peer to peer level, you know? And like fast forward 10 years later, you're in the same crew with lucky. Yeah. I'm in the crew with lucky. I rapped on some of Eli's beats, you know? And it's like that having those experiences for me was like, I've toured the country like a few times over you know, I've had fans come to me in different states and be like, you know, I've had those experiences where I'm like, as an artist, like that was all I wanted. Like AC alone disrespected me at the Whiskey A Go-Go in 1997, you know, and was like, get the fuck out of here, kid. Like you're whack. And I was like, damn, dude, like I fucking loved you, bro. Like <laughs> I have like, very similar experiences. You know, like, I was yes. like, fuck, man, like. You know, book of human language, man. Fucking all balls, <laughs> no bounce, bro. Like, you oh, know, shit. inner city griots. Like, Sunspot Jones did the same fucking thing to me in like 2000. Dude, idea fucking dissed me the hardest than anybody ever dissed me. And that's where you're learning how to be like respectful and not thirsty, like you were talking about. Like, because I'm giving idea my CD at a show, he's playing with Atmosphere on the God Loves Ugly tour. And it's like, you have to be respectful. Like, that's his moment. Idea and abilities are killing it. Like, they want to shine in their show. They don't want to be 
getting CDs from you. I think one of the things, and I know that you'll agree with me on this, one of the biggest mistakes that every single young artist makes, because I did it, you did it, everyone does it, is like trying to get your music to your favorite artists because your favorite artist is still trying to fucking make it as well. You know what I'm saying? Like, they can't help you yet. I wish I could help everybody that fucking gave me a CD or sent me an MP3, but, like, you just can't because I'm still trying to get myself on. Right, exactly. And I think allowing people to have their time, like, it's like, I didn't understand that. Like, I'm like, I just handed Idea my CD. How come he's using it as a drink coaster, you know? But it's like, bro, he's signing posters. He's blowing up right now, like, you know, and... uh you know, allow these people to have their moment. It's like, because if everybody's coming at you like, what can you do for me? How? Can, and that's a big thing with battling today is like, I can't go anywhere in the battling community without kids that want to talk to me about their battling career. And it's like, I'm not really interested in you, you know, like no disrespect. But like, I only watch my battles, bro. Yeah. Like, because I'm so self-obsessed. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah. I'm not going to watch yours. Like, if you send me the link on Facebook, like, Nine out of ten times, I'm not even going to watch it. You know, the only thing I still do is, like, I'll listen to CDs that people hand me. And that's usually just to see how whack they are. And then, like, you know, discard them. Freeway test? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and then a few times, like, fucking, I get one and I'm like, damn, this fool is rapping his ass off. Like, me and Serp were listening to this kid, Quasar, from Rhyme Fighters. And, uh... It's a dude I've seen around for years, you know, but I never really, like, listened to his CD. And then I got it in Santa Barbara at some show, and uh, that shit's tight, you know? It's like, and it's like, uh, it's just an example of, like, that one time you listen to a CD and you're like, damn, I should have listened to this fool the first time he handed me his CD, you know? But it's a, it's a crazy scene, man. I hadn't seen you in, like, a while. I hadn't seen you in, like, a year or something, maybe. And then I got a text message from a number I didn't recognize, like, hey, what's up, man? And I'm like, who is this? And you said, hey, it's it's uh, Caddy Ron. You know, I'm back, and, I, and I'm here, and I'm and I'm doing right. And uh, I have, I'm just, like, contacting everyone that I haven't talked to in a while. Right. What was the route to where you're at right now? Right about, uh, like, 2011. This is, like, where I wish the uh, Battle Rap podcast to take in the direction, because, like, my role in the destruction of like grind time and like the you know like that to me was like so, so epic. So hold on, the other podcast he's talking about is uh, James No Can Do and Jeff Weiss have a podcast on Earwolf called Shots Fired. And actually, I listened to that one with Avocado on the way back from my last video shoot, uh-huh. and that inspired me to invite you to do my podcast because I was like, man, I feel like they didn't let Caddy talk enough, and that motherfucker's interesting right. as shit. And so that's why I invited him on. Yeah. So like. Um, Cause like, that's something like, I think people like, they don't like to like, they don't want to like stir up things with me or to have a conversation I'm not going to like or something. And, uh, you know, but it's like, there was a lot of weird politics involved, but basically like I became the manager of grind time West coast. And, uh, this was like 2011 after lush stepped down and he basically was like, I was thrown from, from gaining respect in the scene and getting involved in battling and then ultimately having the shows and you were helping Monica. a lot behind the scenes already anyways, right. but booking venues and stuff. Sure. Right? Yeah. And, uh, then I started throwing my own battle events, kind of taking the place of bar exam where there was that void left when satire mm-hmm. was running bar exam. And like, I was basically doing these tryout battles and then Lush was like, yo, you know, uh, why don't you become the manager of the West coast? And, like, you know, you can, like, revive the West Coast. And I was like, it would have been a perfect, great idea, you know, but, like, I had just relapsed on heroin. And I vaguely sensed that this wasn't, like, the brightest idea in the world. 
but but like having been battling for two years and like you know that was like a huge to be asked to run the west that was like the west was the best division so how are you going to say like no like i'm not in a position to do that what made you relapse i don't man you know i relapsed at the gooch video shoot and uh i don't know if you've seen the video but it's like me and my girlfriend and like you know shots out to jill i love her and uh you know uh what's up jill hey jill what's up girl (laughs) i'm gonna take you to the fair girl (laughs) uh we're going to the carnival this weekend girl um but like it was just like this whole we were fucking with everybody records and like which is that was all (laughs) i don't know what that's That's a whole other story that's just so weird yeah yeah. but all of a sudden there was like these kids and they're like we're gonna pay for your video they had some money and you know hey come to the roosevelt hotel and uh you know we're gonna you're signed to everybody now and I was like, okay, I never signed anything, but all right. Like, and you know, my girlfriend and me and like my new girlfriend and like, you know, I just, my whole life, everything was going great. And it's like, we're at this video shoot. There's girls kissing girls and like Ted Nugent's daughter and like, you know, free alcohol. And like, we're in the David Bowie room and like something about like everything just like going so well where I was kind of like, damn, this was more than I ever had hoped for as an artist, like to be having other people produce my videos and shit. So, you know, I took a pill, you know, I took a little piece of a Suboxone and, uh, or, you know, it's buprenorphine. It's like a pretty powerful opioid and I got super faded. And then, uh, the next time I had a battle, my nerves were kind of going a little. So I popped a little piece of a pill and fucking just chilled and, Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately, I think I spent my 30th birthday, like, shooting heroin in New York City. Wow. And, uh, you know, just locked in a, the Holiday Inn in the financial district. Fuck it. And I went there to do a battle. But, uh, and that was, like, when people were like, oh, like, what happened to Ron in that battle? It was, like, kind of weird. Like, So you still showed up? Yeah, I showed up, but I couldn't remember my shit. I wasn't really all there. You know, I spent most of, like, four days in a hotel room shooting heroin in New York City. Then right after that, Lush is like, hey, you should run the West Coast grind time. And I was like, oh, all right. And, uh, you know, I couldn't pull it off, basically. The short version is, like, I fucked off some sponsorship opportunities from people, like, giving me money. And, uh, you know, and none of this was, like, malicious or intentional. It was just, like... I got a serious drug problem and people are handing me, you know, thousands of dollars in cash. I was booking tours still. Like I was riding on the fact that my name was solid and good and I was able to get advances for a tour I was putting together. And, uh, you know, when you're getting a $1,500 guarantee with a 750 advance, uh, you know, I was just spending the advances before I even went on tour. And uh, then I didn't even go on tour. So then people are like, Really quickly, you know, then I, I fucked up a whole big event up north at Oakland. And, you know, basically it was like, that was like, and, and now I joke about it. I'm like, you know, that's how important I am that like when I fucked up, I like ruined like other people's lives. But it's yeah. it's not really funny. But what was the moment where it was like, I got to clean my shit up again? I tried to go back to treatment. Like last year, my, my second son was born in October and um, I wasn't doing well at all. You know, and I had to like. You got real skinny again, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> How thin were you? What did you get down to? I think I get down to like 140. Yeah. And like, I can lose weight like nothing. You know, on drugs, it's like, uh, I think I could drop like 30 pounds in like 
Well, I mean, your normal walk around weight has got to be at least 175. 170, yeah. yeah. That's a lot of weight to lose. Oh, I lose it so fast. Like, you know, it's just like ridiculous. And, uh, you know, my, my girl, bless her heart, you know, like she was doing good and she was like fucking, you know, she had the baby and I had to go back to the rehab and just like, fuck, you know try and get myself cleaned up again that's good at least there was no jail stint or anything that caused that as just no your own was, and that's miraculous man because like in the process like the thing is like people and i'm gonna say this probably just once you know but like uh the, the the thing is how people joke about me being a drug addict and like how that's how they're they attack me in the battles and there's all this like and i play it up you know Black yeah, Tar, Rap the character Star, yeah. the method on don but like the fact is that like uh like this is like the only time I'll be serious about drug addiction, but like chemical dependency is like f- really fucked up. And like I've been, I've died like numerous times. I've seen like really close friends of mine die. You know, I've been involved in like fatal car crashes. I've seen this shit destroy my family. You know, like I've seen it uh, destroy me like numerous times. And like I think the only way that I've survived is through maintaining like this levity about it and being. Once I get cleaned up, then I laugh about everything and put it out there. And I'm like, I'm not ashamed of it, you know. But for anybody that thinks that I don't take this shit really seriously is, like, tripping because... It's like you have to laugh about it not to let it fucking destroy you. Yeah, I mean, I spent so many fucking days, like, in these institutions, like, fucking... Or rehabs or hospitals or, like, faced with, like, you know, potentially, like, life-threatening things happening to me. And it's like waking up from overdoses with catheters in your dick and fucking not knowing how you got there and having the police looking for you for like shit that you don't even remember doing. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like I, you know, not being able to be at the birth of your first child or your second child, you know, because you're strung out is like, this is all shit that like will never go away from you, you know, and the pain that like remains is very true. And I think the only way that I can process it, like, like I wasn't present at the birth of my second child and uh because I was on drugs and like I never even like dealt with that I never sat down and thought about it or like you know I never like apologized to my kid's mother and said like you know I'm sorry I wasn't there you know and like the other night Serp and I are writing for this project and like all of a sudden that's the verse that I write and it's like fucking that's like full circle life issue reality music it's like and the next day i was able to because of it because of art basically like and walking through that emotion and then being then i seen my girlfriend the next day who's my kid's mom and sat down with her at a table and said i wrote a verse last night about uh about our son or whatever and then explaining to her the verse in a way for me was like being able to tell her like i was sorry you know and uh, that's just how this shit works, man. It's like fucking. So it is like the darkness that surrounds the art is like all encompassing and always there. But, um, you know, ultimately what happened was like I I got out of treatment last year and, uh, you know, I ended up relapsing again after a short period of time. And like it was a extremely like serious relapse. That's like I didn't show up for Vendetta, which was this huge event that they had booked me for. And it wasn't like I don't want to show up. It wasn't like, you know, it was at that point it was like, dude, like it's been both ways now. People have seen Cadillac like 
do good and people have also seen me like fall and to fall any further was just too much of like I just was like I'm not coming you know like I don't like it would be worse for me to show up like this than to just not show up you know because I don't want to add any fuel to the fire. I think people do care about you in that scene, and it probably would have been fucking painful to see you that way, to, like, really be... People would have, wouldn't have felt good seeing you that way. And that's... It's funny you say that, because, like, uh, there was a post on rap music, and it was like, does Cadillac Ron need an intervention? Yeah. And, uh, like, it was actually a fan who was like, hey, guys, like, I know we joke a lot about Caddy, but, like, the last few battles, he really hasn't looked good. Mm-hmm. And something's, like, obviously going on, like... Like what? What should we do? Yeah. Like, and then a lot of the fans were like, "Oh fuck, Caddy!" Like, I hope his children right, die. That boards a lot of trolls. <laughs> yeah, man. but yeah. like there was a few people like, "Yeah, I've been worried about him. Like, he's not looking good." And uh, I think a lot of my friends had had no experiences with me like when I was using, you know, because I was clean for a number of years, and it was like, you know, it was again, it's like you don't want to have to tell someone like, you know, what to do, but I think. uh and then, you know, last summer basically was like fucking I ended up in the hospital, like with some very serious problems. And uh, it was just faced with the like, I mean, I just couldn't stop. man. that was like and that was like the hardest thing was like. And I think people don't understand that about like drug addiction is like uh, the worst place like an addict can be is like when you really want to stop and like you're not enjoying it. Like it's not fun. Like. You're in the fucking hospital, you know, your girlfriend just left you, like, you you know, your kids aren't in your life, like, you're, nobody's coming to visit, and uh, you just can't stop getting high, and at that point, you're like, you know, that's where I was, like, sitting in a hospital room in some medical center in fucking the valley, not even knowing how I got there, having the doctor tell me I have some, like, crazy blood infection from something, I got IVs all over and fucking, you know, I'm still like the last person I know. I'm still like trying to have them bring me drugs to the hospital. And then, you know, like fucking, you know, and that's when I was like, dude, I I really can't stop. Like this was like, and uh, it was just like torture because I had been sober for years. So it was like, you know, it was like, it was like dangling the carrot. It was like, yo, like, haha, like, remember when your life was good? And like, you know, it's like. All of a sudden, everything was just fucking... And then, uh, you know, I ended up, like, luckily, my family, like, fucking came through for me. And and that was a hard thing for them to do because they had basically written me off as far as, like, my life had gotten back together. But as far as, like, you know, enabling or helping or whatever you call it, like, they were pretty hard-lined, like, tough love, like... As soon as you start again, you're out of our family again. Yeah, like, you're using, you figure it out. You know, and like, uh, you know, I will plug this program called Music Cares. It's the Musician's Assistance Program. It's actually run by the Recording Academy through the Grammys. And uh, like, um, if you're like an impaired musician or an artist, like specifically working in the music field, sound engineering, whatever, and you need help, like they actually will like pay for you to go to treatment. Yeah. And it's like, they'll pay for you to go to sober living. Like they'll fucking help you, dude. And so, like, if anybody was listening that was dealing with any issues, like, with chemical dependency, fucking the Music Cares program through the Recording Academy, like, is, they, like, saved my life, basically. Like, they gave me, like, $11,000 and put me in a detox and fucking, 
got me squared away. How did you find out about the Music Cares program? We were doing like the grind time shit on Warp Tour like a couple years ago, and they had a booth, and uh, like a friend of um, a friend of mine was working at the booth, who was a musician that I respect, and uh, they kind of were like talking about it, and I was like, uh, like I had known that they were clean, and so uh, when shit was getting like real hectic, you know, uh, basically I reached out to them. And they put me in touch with the woman named Shireen who directs the program. And uh, they just were like, you know, like the same day I called, they were like, yeah, we can help you out. And uh, this was crazy fucking. I was like literally like at death's door. Like and I had like I was like leaving this uh, hotel on like Venice and La Brea and uh I was walking up the street and I just like robbed a house the night before and uh I had like this bag, this like Louis Vuitton like luggage, like full of like all this stolen shit. And uh I had a pistol in my waistband and I had like my pockets full of like drugs. And I'm walking up the street and uh like I'm the only dude I know that gets pulled over like on foot, you know, so like the police are driving by me and they just fucking it's like eleven AM they flip a UE and fucking come back. And uh, they told me to sit down on the bus stop. And I was like, fuck, you know, like, I'm a fucking felon. And I'm like, in like, all kinds of violation. And I'm sitting on this fucking bus stop. And uh, I knew that I was going to prison for like ever. And uh, like, I was just like, fuck, man. And uh this is like I, I'm. I'm a, like I do have faith in some sort of like higher power, and uh, for for whatever reason, like the cops didn't search me. Wow. And I was sitting there like, and I had already like resigned myself to the fact that I was busted, like at least five years, and uh, they let me go without even searching me. And so, right after that, Music Cares called me. Were you high? Oh, I was fucked up. And, uh, but like for some reason, when I'm high, like I talk to the cops like so well that, like, you know, like I always, get, like, just fucking manage to, like, get out of it somehow. Yeah. Like I just talk to them really well and respectful. And they're like, you know, I've had a lot of in- instances with police where they were like, just let me walk away. And, like, I thought, like, for sure I was fucked. And, uh, right after that, I mean, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I just got away. And Music Cares calls me, and they're like, yo, we have a bed for you and a detox. Like, you have to get there today. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, I'll be there, you know, because I was like, this is like God working in my life. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they totally, they paid for everything. You know, detox, fucking 30 days in rehab, fucking, you know, and that's like, that's definitely what it took for me to like, you know, get back to having a desire to want to like live again. Tell the people what you're doing right now because I think it's very noble. I'm working right now for a nonprofit agency in Culver City, and uh, they basically like all we do is refer people to self help programs, and uh, so people call in all day and like have various life issues, and we get them like connected to referrals for self help. 
the big thing that we do is like they operate a collaborative housing program and it's uh basically dealing with people that like haven't had been able to live in any other type of environment and putting them in touch with homeowners that are in line with our like principles and like allowing them to live in like a family environment where they feel supported and feel like you know attend attending some sort of self-help group whether it's like a dual diagnosis like mental health group or alcoholics anonymous or some other 12-step program and the idea is that people that have issues that get involved in self-help like are less likely to go back to the hospital they're more likely to be med compliant like we were talking about earlier this idea that they're helping themselves that's why it's self-help you know because when you are suffering from like schizophrenia bipolar and you're self-medicating with heroin or whatever it's like if a doctor tells you take these meds you don't trust the doctor right and it's like typically like the humans just don't respond to authority and they don't respond to like being told what to do and so when you allow somebody to feel like it's self-generated like they're helping themselves because they want to get help or they see other people around them that have overcome similar issues um you know that's like the main they build a trust and generally like somebody that has had like a similar experience to an individual like that can win their trust when like a social worker won't be able to do that so when a guy like you is in the office that's in you know that's tattoos on the hands that knows what's up it says like hey man this will work for you it's a lot better than somebody in a suit and tie right because i'm not saying this will work for you because i read that it'll work for you i'm saying this will work for you because it worked for me and like i'm saying i benefited like my life changed as a result of my involvement in like 12-step programs Right. The only reason I'm alive today, basically, is because there's a community of people that have dealt with issues like myself and they helped me out, you know, and that's why that's what we do. And like that's why like a big part of the job is like within the first few minutes of talking to someone, you have to disclose to them your personal information, not detailed, but generally you have to let them know I understand and like I've been there like, you know, and if you want to get specific, you know, you could say, yeah, I've, I've been, I've dealt with that. You know, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to have a family member that's strung out, or I know what it's like to be strung out, or I know what it's like to be locked in a psych ward, or like, I know what it's like to not get jobs because you're a felon, you know, and then you build this rapport with somebody and that's how you develop trust with an individual. Cause they're like, okay, you're not coming at me like the judge or the PO you're coming at me like just as a peer. And it's all peer to peer, and that 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 leaves room for uh, somebody to feel like they're helping themselves. Because it's like, all right, if they can do it, I can do it. And what do I have to lose? I'll, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll try this out and see what happens. Going way back to earlier, you mentioned uh, the first time that you were involved in the court system when the girl got her jaw broke, that you just didn't feel anything about it. And now that you're clean, sober, living life again, it seems like. Your life is in a positive place right now. You've got your family around you. You know, you got a good lady, your kids. Do you feel? Are you feeling right now? Yeah. And that's something like that. Uh, again, it took like a long time. It definitely allows you to operate in like this kind of like numbness, you know, where you just kind of are disassociated. And if you've dealt with issues your your, your whole life, like... I never really felt like a part of or accepted or like my self-esteem was always kind of low. And it's like 
you know, then you end up seeking lower companions and seeking like a life that, you know, not living up to your potential and just kind of under earning. And ultimately, like I recreated myself as somebody that like I wasn't intended to be, you know, like I was probably on this trajectory for, you know, being like a real estate agent or like a businessman, you know, and it's like I worked hard at like like breaking myself down to being like this like fucking criminal felon who like has a totally twisted outlook on life who has seen like horrible things happen to people. And that's another thing too. Like, I mean, I think, uh, like personally, like I deal with like some sort some elements of like PTSD. Cause like, I think if you lived in like the downtown air, LA area and you've been on the streets, like it's like war, it's like going to battle, you know? And like, you can't talk about the shit to normal people without kind of joking about it because nobody really understands what that's like. Like I can't sit at dinner my parents don't want to hear about it because it's terrifying. You know, like I can't talk about like seeing people die or seeing someone get shot or like watching someone get beaten to death, you know, or me getting beaten to like within an inch of my life in an alley behind five bucks of dope, you know. And like when you talk about things like that, people are turned off or afraid of you. And, uh, you know, kind of getting to a point where you like, find the people that you can kind of relate to on that. And like, that's why my, again, like it's all comes back to art for me. Cause that's been the only place that I could really tell the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't write anything that isn't true. You know, like I moved from like writing about other people's lives to like writing about my own. And that's like where I'm at with everything now. And I think the feelings have come back to the point where it's like, Mainly, like, I appreciate being alive, and, uh, you know, like, I actually enjoy, like, yesterday, I just had this moment where I'm sitting with my girlfriend and, our, you know, m- our, my two sons and a few dogs, like, watching TV, and, like, that's something, like, I never thought that I would be able to experience, you know, like, I never thought that I would be, like, happy or be able to, like, just enjoy being with people, and, like, you know, just taking my kids to the park, you know, like, that's, like, such a small triviality that people would take for granted. But it's, like, for me, that's a huge deal. It's, like, you know, A, like, being trusted to, like, take care of your children, you know, or, like, having people respect you enough where they, like, think you're a good person again. But also just to appreciate, like, life. And, like, you know, you're talking about appreciating the beauty of life through LSD. Like, today, like, I can just look at everything and be, like, you know, I think everything is awesome, you know, and especially if you've made it out of the darkness to get back to like a place where you can appreciate the light, you know, and, uh, and then seeing others like glad that you're back, you know, like that's been, and that's like, uh, like I give a big kudos to like the artistic community in LA because the general sentiment of people that I had interacted with for years when I'm doing well is like, we're really glad that you're doing well because we know you're a good person and like, you know, we're happy to see you not dead. And, uh, you know, I think just like a couple of weeks ago, I saw Lush at, uh, some event and, uh, he had eaten like a lot of Molly and, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, if, if Lush, yeah. listen, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Lush eats Molly, yeah, yeah. you know? And, uh, he was like, you know, almost in tears, like, you know, for the Molly obviously, but like, he was like, 
bro, like I basically had like written you off, like like just expected you to die. And I had to prepare myself emotionally for like the fact that you were going to like be gone. And like, you know, and hearing people say that shit to you and like, especially your parents or your brothers or, you know, you know, I have children and like, you know, being back in their lives and like being a dad, like that's like the most important thing I can do. And I would say like going back to earlier, that definitely makes you a success as well. Absolutely. And like, I think also like my definition of success has like changed and evolved so much where it's like today being successful means being accountable, showing up for your kids, being responsible, having a job. You know, if music isn't providing all the money that I need, then I need to be working full time. And that's something like that I, you know, like I don't go and do a show out of state unless it's going to make more money than I would have made staying at home working. You know what I mean? And like that's that's where I'm at. And that doesn't that doesn't mean I'm any less of a musician because I'm not, you know, fully self-supporting from music. Music has been a great supplemental income. And, you know, there's those those times where you do a show and make a lot of money and you're like, fuck, like. But, um, you know, like I think and I've talked about this, anybody who says they're succeeding financially through music, like the first question I want to ask them is like, do you have health insurance? And if you're like, yeah, you know, then I'm like, that's awesome. You know, like, yeah, you're succeeding. You're like, if you just pay the rent and like, that's it. Like a lot of us do have children and families and fucking real life shit going on. And, uh, taking responsibility for that today is like my main priority, you know, and I could honestly, like I could, I could walk away from the scene, you know, like I'll never walk away from music and I'll never fucking stop being an artist. And like, I basically turned my life into art, you know, and like my conception of what art is, is that it's everything, you know, I'm not here to debate fucking anything about art. Like, I consider myself like a living work of art and as cliched as that sounds or weird, it's like all the shit that I've done to like, you know, through tattooing or the way I dress or who I've become is like, you know, that's just, that's just this ongoing evolving art piece, you know? And then a big thing that I've had to deal with is like learning when that stops and when the real life starts and like having this other persona of Cadillac Ron, the rapper, and Robert Paulson, the father and the employee, you know, has been, it's been, uh, the duality has been confusing at times because it's like, it's hard for me not to want to tell everyone in the workplace, like, Hey, like I have these videos on YouTube that like I have fans, like I, you know, I've done this. I came in second place in this Red Bull battle. Like, you know, people know who I am in some small circles of the world. Like, but it's like, that's not my job, you know, like, and, uh, you know, there's times, too, where I'm like, fuck, I hope my kids never, like, go watch my fucking battles on YouTube or, like, you know. Right. But that's also the legacy that I leave as an artist, and it's like, I'm not ashamed of that. And uh, I think, but, you know, being myself, the man first, is, like, today is much more important than the artist because the artist has a tendency to, like, kill me. And, like, my dad's even said to me, like, yo, Cadillac Ron is going to kill you, you know. And, like, being able to understand that, like, when I go home, I'm Robert Paulson, you know. When I'm in the streets, I'm Cadillac Ron, you know, when I'm doing shows or networking or whatever. But it's like people respect me. They don't, you know, and the shit, the, the reason my name is still thorough is because of who I am, you know. Well, hey, man, thank you for coming in. All day, bro. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Tell the people real quick where to find you on Twitter. 
at Cadillac Ron, C-A-D-A-L-A-C-K-R-O-N. My band camp is caddyron.com, C-A-D-D-Y-R-O-N.com. And the crew website is maquinamuerte.com. Um, you know, and all of our shit's up there. So, I really appreciate the conversation, man. Thank you so much. For all day, there. brother. Thank all you. Right. Okay, thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget to hit us up. Follow us on at That's Kinda Neat, T-H-A-T-S-K-I-N-D-A-N-E-A-T. That's our new Twitter for the podcast. Hit us up on Twitter, too, at It's Intuition, I-T-S-I-N-T-U-I-T-I-O-N. Go look at my YouTube channel. Got some videos up. YouTube.com backslash It's Intuition. Follow my man behind the scenes on the boards, the man who makes this thing run and operate, Ben Shim, the engineer extraordinaire on Twitter at I am database, base with two S's. We will see you again soon. Thank you for tuning in. This was kind of neat. Mm-hmm.